Welcome to the Flint Citadel's podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. Warm welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. I think we should take our jackets off. It's a little warm in here. And then I'm looking on the, on the notices and we're going to be taking Christmas applications. That does not seem possible with this beautiful weather that we're experiencing right now. But anyway, we're going to get our service off to a wonderful start with a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Introduction from the band. Here we go. What a beautiful day to praise the Lord. I hope you've had a wonderful weekend. It's been uh, kind of unseasonably warm, but um, enjoy that because those days are coming when uh, we'll wish it were warm again. This morning we are recording our service, and also a new feature we're adding is the ability to podcast, which means you can listen to the service online. That's um, being worked out. I'm not sure if we're quite up and ready yet, but we're really close so you can hear the service um, online. But this, um, this week's service will be sent to Captain Sandy Hunt, who's serving the Lord in Spain, Captains Willie and Cassie de Jesus, who are in Argentina, and Lieutenants Steve and Kistia Diaz, who are serving in Haiti. So our prayers and our um, thoughts go out to them where they serve, that God would mightily use them. Uh, it's great to have everyone here this morning. It's good to have Harry and Joy here. Uh, they came in, Harry, Heron, and Joy, for our band league brunch yesterday, as well as their son, Ed, and grandson, John. It's been great to have them and to have them here to worship with us this morning. We're going to um, begin our worship with a reading from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9 some good advice. Do not fret because of evildoers, 
Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as at noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have come here this morning to worship you. We pray that if there is anyone in the service who has come here for any other reason, that you will turn off whatever those thoughts, whatever those reasons are, and open up the heart to the blessings that you can give us if we truly are here to worship you. God, we ask for your blessings. We ask especially that you will be with the preached word, that as we come to know more about your holiness, we too can be holy. And the holiness that you give to us is something that we can use in our entire lives, and it's part of our worship for you. God, be with us. Let the music be something that is a sweet savor in your ears. Let the words of those who are bringing uh, other parts of of the service to you be also something that you can use. Open our hearts and minds just to be here for you. We think it is such a cool thing to come into the house of the Lord to worship. Be with us. Keep us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture this morning is from 2 Timothy, verses 1 through 14, and I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, with a clear conscience in the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now as, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted 
to you. May God bless his word. Now we're going to sing, I Know Not Why. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse.
Oh, dear Father God, we want to thank you for everything you do for us. We want to let you know that we love you, even though we are unable to return the love that you give to us. We just ask now that you take the small portion of what you've given us and use it to promote your kingdom and let other people know who you are and what you're about so that we can all glorify your name. Amen.
It's a beautiful song. Take my life and let it be totally consecrated to the Lord. And um, that's really what holiness is about. This is our holiness meeting. And uh, holiness is, is simple in a sense because it's giving everything to the Lord. And um, thank you, Jill, for picking out that song. Have you um, heard in the news recently that some people are actually smuggling out-of-state pop bottles into Michigan in order to cash in on the deposit money? <laughs> There's a guy. Where is he? Some states are no-deposit, no-return states. You just buy pop, buy soda, and you throw the bottle out. Kind of a neat concept, huh? The idea, of course, behind the idea of having a deposit is that you don't pollute the environment with these empty pop bottles because they now have a value, and if you throw it along the roadside, somebody else will come along, pick it up, and get their 10 cents. But, you know, this idea of a deposit isn't really a new concept. When I was a kid, uh, many years ago, there was a, a grocery store on the end of our block. It was called Jackson's Grocery Store. That's not the same one. I couldn't find a picture of it, but it looked almost like that. It was really just a house that had been converted and modified to be a small neighborhood store. And they had all the basics there. They had bread, candy, dry goods, canned goods, cigarettes that I had to buy for my grandpa. And, of course, they had that staple of growing families, milk. When I was a kid, the day of the uh, milkman had almost drawn to an end. Though many of us still had these uh, aluminum, aluminum or galvanized insulated boxes, milk boxes that sat on the um, front porches, really uh, that day was just about over. One of the jobs of my brothers and I was to um, go to the corner store and get milk almost every day. And back in that day, milk came in in bottles. And then you would return the old bottles to the store for their deposit value and pick up new bottles with milk in them. And uh, what we often did was to pull our wagon down to the store because we lived at the other end of the block. Uh, one problem, though, especially in the winter when you had gloves and, and mittens on, was dropping one of those milk bottles. And I remember on a number of occasions when I dropped a full milk bottle on the cement when I was trying to load it in the wagon and it would bust and then Mrs. Jackson would come out and yell at me and, and my mom wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be pleased because not only was the milk lost then, so was the deposit. And we had to carefully guard that deposit because we didn't have much money to spare in those days, and that deposit was a big deal. Yet, my mom entrusted it to me, probably because she didn't want to walk down there. But I must say that there were times, due to the carelessness of youth, that I failed to be very responsible. If you still have your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, look there. If not, open your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, back in those days, caring for that deposit was an important thing on our tight budget, something that was stressed. But in the Greek culture, the culture in which uh, Timothy lived when this letter was written, guarding a deposit was, was more than just important. It was considered a sacred duty. William Barclay, in his commentary on 2 Timothy, tells of a famous uh, Greek story that illustrates just how sacred safeguarding a deposit really was. The story goes something like this. A, a man heard that the people in Sparta were very honest and honorable. So he sold half of his possessions, accumulated that money, and deposited them with a certain Gallicus of Sparta, he put it there until his heirs or himself would come and claim it. It was a place to put it for safe deposit. It so happened that over the course of time that this man died and eventually his, his heirs came to Sparta to this 
Gallicus to seek the return of that deposited money. And when the sons presented themselves and made this claim, Gallicus told them that he knew nothing about any deposit that had been left there, and he sent them away disheartened, with no money, and very dejected. Well, the man then went to the oracle of Delphi to see if he had done right. His conscience must have bothered him. And the oracle said that if he was seeking monetary profit, then go ahead, keep the money. If, if that's what you want, if that's your goal in life, keep the money. But he warned him it would cost far more than what he would gain. In fact, he was told that even the fact that you considered this, the fact that you came to ask this question was just as bad as if you actually violated that trust. So he decided to go ahead and return the money. He called the heirs back. But in consequence, he died without an heir of his own. This story was told to illustrate to the Greeks how important it was to guard a deposit, how important it was to be honorable in safeguarding it. Bear that in mind as, as you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Matter of fact, the whole book of 2 Timothy. Timothy at this time was in Ephesus, a key city in the province of, of Greece. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, Paul writes, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. The end of that verse, that 12th verse, indicates that Paul had entrusted something of value to God. What was it? What was it that Paul had given God trust over? According to 2 Timothy chapter 1, not just Paul, but all Christians have entrusted a number of things to God, and I want to discuss those briefly. If you look at verse 5 in that same chapter, it alludes to our salvation by faith in Christ. As believers, we have entrusted our salvation to God. There's no visible proof that you're saved. It's not like God uh, sends us a membership card, or we get a certificate that says, yes, you're now a part of my family. I've adopted you into the family, and you're saved. It is a matter of faith. We trust God to do what he says he will do. We entrust that to him. A little later in verse 8, Paul talks about the suffering and ridicule he has endured for his faith in Christ. And in a very real sense, as believers, we have entrusted our reputation to God. Some people consider us fools for believing in God. And some consider us even greater fools for making God the center of our lives, actually making Him important in our daily decisions. Let me extend verse 8 a little further, saying that we have entrusted more than our reputation to God, we have entrusted our earthly lives to Him as well. And some people have suffered for doing that. They have entrusted their lives to God and they have suffered. Some have even lost their lives and around the world that's happening still today. In verse 12, Paul takes it a step further when he says at the end of the verse that he has entrusted his life to God for that day. For that day. What day do you think he's referring to? It's usually a reference to the day in which we stand before the Lord, that day of ju judgment. There will be a day appointed when each of us stand before him or a day when it, in which he returns and we go to stand before him. So in a very real sense, we have entrusted the judgment that is to come to God. We're trusting him in that day that this salvation that we've been promised is actually going to be effective. And extending that to the next logical step, verse 10 tells us that we have entrusted our eternity to God as well. We believe that Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's one of the 
foundational beliefs of Christianity. All of these things we have deposited and entrusted to God. They are the most valuable things that we own because they have eternal value. Our lives, our reputation, our salvation, our judgment, and our eternity are all entrusted to Him. But that trust doesn't stop there because our relationship with God is a two-way street. We not only entrust things to Him, but He also has entrusted things to us. Precious things. 2 Timothy verse 7 tells us that God has entrusted us with a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There's a whole another sermon in just that verse, but, but what powerful things God has given to us. Verse 8 indicates that God has entrusted believers with the gospel, with the message of salvation, and we are to testify about Christ, even to the point of suffering and imprisonment. Paul found himself in just that situation, and he, he told Timothy, don't think that, that you're safe from this either. You have to take this risk and trust this. God's entrusted this to us. We entrust ourselves to him. Verse 6 alludes to the spiritual gifts that God has distributed to every believer. Every one of us has been given some gift and ability from God. And later, verse 13 has two more things. Sound teaching, as found in the Scriptures, has been entrusted to us. And even the faith and love of Christ. All of these, these rich things have been entrusted to us. Now, thinking about that, you, you may think that God has entrusted an awful lot to us and He expects an awful lot from us. But I want you to know this morning He has given us far more. You can't outgive God. It's impossible. When I was a kid, my mom entrusted me with those few milk bottles. And sometimes I proved myself less than trustworthy. God has entrusted us with far more. But in return, He has given us all that we need to be successful, to be triumphant. He has even placed His Holy Spirit within us as a down payment. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that God has set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In return, God asks us to live responsible lives, lives marked by holy living. Why should we trust God with so much? With our lives and our eternity? I think verse 12 nicely answers this. This is why. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. You see, it's not based on what we know, but on who we know. In the final analysis, our faith in God is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one thing to trust in what we believe the facts. But you know, it's impossible to know, that all, to know all that there is to know about an infinite God. There's so much we don't know about Him. There's more we don't know about God than really what we do. And besides, saving faith isn't a matter of knowing enough Bible facts and then making an intellectual assent to the existence of God. I mean, that's a great thing to do. But... Um, that's not what saving faith is about. Faith is trusting in a God that we cannot see, who is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And we do this because of who God is, because of our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, explains to us that Christ has come to make God understandable. It says there, no one has seen God at any time. 
the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Christ has explained God. Ralph Waldo Emerson understood this when he wrote, All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. And God's response to our trust is to give us peace and grace and strength with the promise of eternal life in Christ. Not a bad deal if you ask me. Our response to God's trust in us, especially this deposit of the Holy Spirit within us, is to live a holy life. A.W. Thurold wrote that the highest pinnacle of the spiritual life is not happy joy and unbroken sunshine, but absolute and undoubting trust in the love of God. Our goal in life isn't to be happy. It's a great thing to be happy, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to be faithful to God and to share His love whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that while God can be trusted with our eternity, with our very lives, we are responsible for what God has entrusted to us. Scripture makes it clear that God expects us to live lives of a radical obedience, even to the point of suffering, even to the point of dying for Him. We do this knowing that ultimately we are safe in our Creator's hands. This radical obedience, this trust, is an expression of our love for God. And it's really at the heart of the experience of holiness. So this morning, as you consider your own walk with the Lord, have you entrusted everything to God? Is your very life on deposit with Him? Your future? Your reputation? Your time, your talents, your treasures, everything? I think our natural inclination is to hold back, to hold on to some control. We feel in many cases that we can probably manage our lives better than than God can. And by our actions, we demonstrate our lack of trust and we fail to guard the deposit that God has made in us. 2 Timothy 1.14 reminds us to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This morning, that's what I want to challenge you with, to trust the Lord completely. I know I say that Sunday after Sunday, but it's the heart of our faith. Trust Him because you know Him. And you believe that He is faithful because you've seen His face in the face of Christ. Trust Him to the degree that He trusts you. Have you ever thought how radical God is in trusting us with the gospel message? When God wants to do something, He sends a man or a woman to do it. That's how much He trusts us. A.W. Tozer writes, What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. For each of us, the time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends and hiding places will be swept away, and we shall have only God. To the man of pseudo-faith, that is a terrifying thought. But to real faith, it is one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. Can God be absolutely trusted in whatever circumstances you find yourself? Yes, He can. This trust frees us to live radical faith. In life, we must have the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us. That's God's promise. This is the gift God has given us when we come to faith in Christ. It is the guarantee that He will be faithful to us because He's made an investment in our lives. Without this deposit of the Holy Spirit, there is no return. There is no value in that day we stand before Him. 
no right to return to a relationship with God through Christ. So this morning I ask you, do you have this deposit? It's the Holy Spirit living in with you, within you. And how are you guarding it? How are you using it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that um, for some reason, Lord, you have in your wisdom and in your plan trusted us. Not just trusted us with some minor matter in your plan for uh, this creation, but Lord, you have placed us front and center. And you have determined that you will do your work through human beings who give themselves in obedience to you. Lord, I don't, I don't know that, um, that I would have done that. But God, I thank you that you have. And I pray, Lord, that as we examine our own lives for what we have deposited with you and for what you have deposited in us, that, God, we would find ourselves good stewards of that responsibility. Lord, might we be holy men and women. Might we be people of obedience to your word. And God, might we um, treat people with the, the love and the care that we see in Christ. And Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here who is holding back, I pray that uh, you would speak through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and, and who surrounds us. And God, that you would call us to a life of simple obedience and faith and trust in you. God, um, bless us as we consider these things. And we give you praise for the great salvation that you've made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song, simple song of trust and obedience, trust and obey. You can sing this as a, um, a testimony if it expresses the way you're living your life, that you're living a life of simple obedience, of simple faith. But if you know you're falling short, then I invite you to um, put your trust fully in the Lord. One day, each of us will stand before Him. I don't know, that could be this afternoon. Could be next year, could be many years from now, but we need to be prepared to give an account of that trust that God's given to us. Let's sing together the, fir the first verse, Trust and Obey. comfortable theorizing about how faithful God is and talking about how wonderful it would be to be a holy person and, and how, yeah, we really believe that God is um, faithful and trustworthy, but until 
you really put it all on the altar, it's all academic. It's all a lot of highfalutin talk about what we maybe think God's like, but you know, we're not, we don't really believe it because we're not really willing to do it. That verse ends, For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. So don't try claiming all these wonderful things of God if you're not willing to trust him. And that means when things go well, when things go bad, we need to continue to trust him and we will receive that blessing that's promised. I invite you to stand as we sing verse 5, a nice way to end with fellowship sweet, a picture of, of what's awaiting us in heaven. Let's sing verse 5. standing while we pray just before we sing our Volk benediction. We thank you, God, for your love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died for each one of us. Help us to take what we have been fed this morning and share it with our unsaved family and friends. May we use the gifts you have given us to glorify your name and extend your kingdom. In Jesus Christ we ask this. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shall we sing our vocal benediction to uh, the doxology tune? This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint, at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.